The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Pete Najarian. Tonight on Fast, the Reddit Rebellion, GameStop, BlackBerry, iRobot, AMC, all blasting off as an army of retail traders take to Reddit and pile into these names. We'll break down what is fueling this frenzy straight ahead. Plus, we're getting ready for a huge slate of earnings. So that got us in the mood for a good old-fashioned game of Trade It or Fade It. Find out which names our traders are betting on as results roll in. And later... Call it a burrito bowl. The big news out of Chipotle that could be a total touchdown for investors. But we start off with a record rally for Apple. Shares heading an all-time high ahead of its earnings report on Wednesday. The stock now up 80% in the past year. Do you buy this ahead of the report? Tim, you're shaking your head. I barely got the question out of my mouth. It was really more just the extraordinary move here. And there was a couple upgrades. And there's a sense here that actually sell side consensus is light relative to the buy side, who's probably 10 percent higher, both on revs and EPS. Um, the, the multiple on a forward 12 month is now 31 times. Um, and, and, and yet, look, I, I think there's a lot of levers for the company to pull here. And I don't think they really care about pulling levers, but their services revenue is, is really, you know, settled into this high teens growth rate. Uh, the app store apparently is going to do 20 billion, uh, calendar fourth quarter, which is going to be up, you know, 45% or so. Uh, and so these are the drivers to me. If you think that this has been a full transition to really a services-based earnings profile, even though we know it's still about 5G and install-based, but that the market mm-hmm. is kind of de-risking the, the, and smoothing out the, the story here. And I think that's where we are. So I was shaking my head because it's just extraordinary. Um, if, if, no, I'm not going to do this because it's not my place to play this game. Um, I'll just say that uh, I'm not running scared from Apple, uh, but I don't think you have to buy it before earnings. Yeah, Tim had mentioned how Wall Street, the sell side, uh, is a little bit behind on this one. Take a look at the average analyst price target in the stock. It's $134 and change, and that is, of course, below, well below where we are right now, uh, Guy Adami. So does that mean that Apple could actually be okay into earnings because the expectations are not high enough? Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, Pete can speak to this. And Tim and Karen have been on this for a long time. Yeah, absolutely could beat. I mean, the first quarter, it can be funky for Apple. I mean, I think 10 out of the last 15 first quarters, we've had EPS beats, so not like sort of the rest of the year. So it's a bit of a wild card. But with that said, Tim mentions valuation. The reason to own Apple for years was the valuation was too cheap. You know, now you can make an argument that it's maybe too expensive, but it probably can stay here for quite some time. I think the game you have to play with yourself is where am I taking profits, taking some money off the table if they beat? Where am I reloading? Where am I getting in if they miss? And that 134 level, for a lot of different reasons, the price target you just mentioned makes sense. That was sort of the high back in the beginning of September. And I think on the upside, maybe you're looking for the mid-150s to take some money off the table. But I'm inclined to think that they're going to surprise people again because that's what they've done. Uh, and that's probably given the fact that they didn't give guidance in the fourth quarter. That's why they surprised people this quarter. 
Is it expensive, Karen, when you consider all the cash? You know, there's not that much cash when you, there's a lot of debt as well. So mm. I think the net of it is maybe like $70 billion, which sounds like a lot of money to you and me, but on the market cap of this stock, it's not <laughs> actually that much. I'm long, I went home long, so it's like buying it right here. It is expensive. It should be expensive. I agree with Guy, I'm not sure this is a this quarter story that, that matters for sure, but it's a 5G story, which is gonna play out a lot longer than just over this quarter. Um, the valuation is high. Um, it's not my biggest position. If it were, I would be taking either selling some upside calls, which Pete could probably do a lot better, or um, take some money off the table. Yeah, and Pete, you've said for a long time that it's all about the services in terms of that extra layer of growth. But right now, as Karen had mentioned, this stock has really moved on this notion of an iPhone 12 super cycle, that 5G super cycle. Yeah. Um, so, so don't we have to see that really um, come in strong? Well, I think that that will, but I think that the, the focus really should be, and it should have been, um, rotating away from the phone a little bit. Uh, we all know the strength of the phone. We totally get it. But after it drop, dropped underneath 50% of the revenue, I think we were starting to see the real Apple, which is services and wearables become 34%. And you look over at the phone, and you're talking about a little over 40%. So the, you've got the area where you've got all the margin, Mel, and you've got a lot of growth, incredible growth. And meanwhile, you've got the phone, which now with 5G and the potential for uh, they've been talking about trying to get out even more in terms of production. So it would seem to me that that seems to be going very well, very strong, very. Uh, it seems like that's where the customer wants to bring uh, get their stuff. But I'll tell you what, the Apple one as well, the way they've bundled all of that up as well. I think there's a lot of different ways to look at this and say, yeah, 31 times. I agree with Tim. That sounds high. But I don't know that I feel like that's high, given where the growth is and given where the margins are going, based upon what we're seeing right now and what we've seen over the last probably two years worth of quarters, that growth in that particular area, or those particular areas, and specifically the rapid growth that we've seen in the wearables themselves. Mm -hmm. um, Guy, do you agree with Pete that, that Apple is l much less of a phone company, or is it really Wedbush, for instance, in its note today, said that it's expecting more than 240 million units for fiscal year 2021, and that with that calculation, it expects Apple to be a $3 trillion market cap company in the next 12 months. It is the phone that is the crux to that argument. Well, the phone is the driver for everything, really, if you look at it, right? I mean, the, the, their ecosystem is derived from the phone. I think we all understand that. But with that said, the growth opportunities within that ecosystem that Pete just discussed, I mean, that's really, that's why they're getting, that's why they're going from a 12 forward PE five years ago to 32 times now, and deservedly so. So it isn't a phone company anymore the way it was just four or five years ago. And I think Apple would be the first person to tell you that. Uh, they don't want to be. They want to be everything but. Obviously, they understand uh, what their core company, what their strength is and where they derive all their growth. But they're so much more than a phone company now, more mm -hmm. so, obviously, than just four or five years ago. How does the context of today's market, Tim, educate you in terms of how you would forecast Apple trades based on its earnings. Is there a propensity for people to want Apple to go higher, for instance, given the chase that we've seen in some retail names? And I, seven minutes in, and I mentioned GameStop, but like a GameStop, for instance. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, um, I, I think we're going to get into that story and, and what is retail, what is retail buying and what is what are retail stocks. And, and, and look, a- Apple um, also, I think you're getting to what's its place here in the market and you know, what does it mean for the market uh, overall with Apple making a move like this. And let's remind people of what the weightings are for, for, for this stock. I mean, it's 7% of the S&P, you know, effectively. It's 12% of the Russell. I mean, this is, this is the world's biggest stock. It's 2.35 trillion right now. And, and, and I think uh, the, the desire for the market to take this thing higher, if the market's moving higher, or which is the tail, which is the dog, is, is very clear here. Um, look, the fact that this chart looks fantastic, uh, clearly bodes very well. Uh, and we've talked about the resurgence of big cap tech over the last week. The move that Google had last week was extraordinary. So leadership from this group at times has been uh, a concern for the market because we didn't have that breadth. But um, it, it's, it seems we've been having this, this push-pull between uh, big cap tech, mega cap tech, and, and then broader cyclicals. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that relationship continues. All right. Uh, as Apple hits a new all-time high, our next guest is worried a pair of painful scenarios are unfolding in the market, and one of them could spark a 15% sell-off. Julian Emanuel is BTIG's chief equity and derivative strategist. Julian, good to see you. Um, your two scenarios involve speculation uh, by, on the part of retail investors. So tell us about those two scary scenarios. So you just talked about what you the group thinks the positioning is coming into this very critical earnings week. And we would suggest that much like we've seen with some of these smaller, more speculative uh, growth type stocks, that as well, the public is very committed to long call options, whether you're the world's largest market cap company or you're the world's largest electric vehicle company trading at 200 times 2021, or you're a premier semiconductor company trading at over 50 times, uh, you are vulnerable to disappointment here, particularly in light of the fact that when we think about what's happened with earnings season in general, you've had very tepid reactions to very good earnings reports so far. It's early, but this is the kind of setup that's poised for disappointment. Um, And then again, when we think about the other setup here is that we're going to get news uh, from both the Fed uh, this week, as well as further news on the the stimulus negotiations front. And the market is pricing in a very positive scenario for both. Mm -hmm. We don't necessarily think the narrative is quite that simple. And all those together could spark a pullback. Okay, so basically the two scenarios in a nutshell is the overshoot to the upside or the overshoot to the downside, which is exacerbated by the presence of the retail investor and primarily in the options market. Is that fair? It, it is in large part to the options market. Mm-hmm. So so what we've seen, particularly over the last week and the markets, admittedly a very positive reaction to the events that we saw coming out of January 6th and obviously the sigh of relief that January 20th went uh, without incident is the raising of the speculative uh, uh, predisposition of the public. And that is very much uh, sort of what we think we saw as a money manager back in 1999 and 2000, the start of what is the potential for a speculative overshoot to as high as 4,500 or by some measures, given uh, the valuations of the market, you could even see 5,000. Do we think that's going to happen? No. But what we do want to stress is that this is a time to, you know, just sort of reevaluate where you are uh, in terms of your stock holdings, 
to not get emotional whether you get that overshoot to, to the upside or you get this pullback to the downside and stay focused on the long term, which in our view is an economy reopening, uh, higher, higher share prices and a steeper yield curve. Julian, it's Tim. So outside of multiples and, and things that we can make some arguments, but you, you're, you're giving us some guidelines for both rational and non-emotional thinking meeting fundamentals. What's scaring you right now in terms of what is overheated? Leave aside, we're, we're going to talk about GameStop and, and retail FOMO, uh, and, and we've talked a little bit about the Apple multiple. Um, peel back a couple more issues that give you pause right now. Well, again, a lot of this advanced him in the last several months has been driven by small caps. And we do believe that small caps will outperform, but they have come a very far distance in a very short amount of time. And I think part of that narrative also leads back into the SPACs, which has certainly been a very, uh, you know, place of, of extreme interest. And these are parts of the markets that while the long term story is very much intact in our view, are subject because of the increasing volatility to these kind of pullbacks that are going to look scary and frankly could drive some people out of the market. We don't want that to happen. What we want is for people to be positioned such that if we do get a 10 to 15 percent pullback, you can see yourself being a buyer there, not a panic seller. Julian, this is Karen. Thanks for coming on. So it seems like the market is kind of priced in a stimulus, yet it's Joe Biden might be hitting somewhat of a wall. How do you think that plays out? Could that be the catalyst for your sell off? Well, absolutely, Karen. And, and again, when we look at the dialogue uh, that developed over the weekend and what we see so far is it's going to be a struggle. We do think that the market is discounting somewhere in the neighborhood uh, of a trillion dollars in the first quarter. Uh, of of the year, but it's going to be every single nickel is clearly going to be hard fought, likely uh, requiring some sort of uh, uh, deal making compromise with the Republicans. Uh, and it's by no means a guarantee. And, and so for from our point of view, you really are pricing in this scenario without thinking about either the delay in the bill or any other residual risks uh, around the bill. Hey, Julian, your official price target for year-end S&P 500 is 4,000, but you also have a price target, which we showed, um, if the speculative mania grows, and that's 5047, which seems like a very precise number, considering this is a forecast, uh, you know, that you're speculating on if speculative mania grows. So how do you, how do you get to that number? Sure. So th there's two ways. The first is is the frame of reference is if you think about it in the four to five months prior to the top in uh, 2000, the Nasdaq basically doubled. Obviously, we're thinking about it in S&P 500 terms. And what we did was we looked at various measures of valuations. And one of these uh, measures, the cyclically adjusted P.E. ratio, if you got to the all time highs, which we saw in 2000, uh, and frankly, which we saw in 1929, that gets you to 5047. Got it. Julian, thank you. Thank Good you. Good to see you. Julian Emanuel, BTIG. Um, Guy Dami, I know a lot of things keep you up at night. Mm. Uh, do either of these two scenarios, are they among those things? <laughs> 
Yeah, amongst my my advanced age, that keeps me up at night. I mean, we won't get into the nitty-gritty details. But, no, I mean, I actually am more scared of the 50-47 than I am of the downside. I mean, what he's talking about there is an absolute mania if we were to get there, given the valuations and the, the time frames, frames that he references. But, you know, in the you know valuation, you know, we talk about it all the time, and it should matter. But when Jerome Powell effectively said that it didn't matter about a month, month and a half ago, that's when sort of all bets were off and the market's been on its merry way. Wrongly or rightly so, it doesn't matter. If you made money on the way up, it doesn't matter if you understood the reasons why or if you've just done it on the back of liquidity. Those dollars in your bank account are, are exactly the same. So I understand what's going on. I am concerned by it. Uh, but there's nothing out there right now that indicates it's going to stop. Pete, just quickly, are you worried about that 10 to 15 percent downside scenario? And specifically, Julian is calling out the options market and the activity of the retail investor. Yeah, yeah I, there is definitely some concerns there. And we all know the mania that we're seeing, uh, some very irrational moves. I know we'll talk about that specifically later. But I think the reality is, Mel, um, I have been moving more and more into what we call stock replacements, where I'm getting out of some positions mm -hmm. of my stocks that I'm getting a little bit uncomfortable with and actually replacing that with options, putting calls on rather than being long stock. That way I have a very limited amount of risk and still can get some of that reward, especially given a little bit of time out into the future. So I've been doing more and more of that, and I've also been buying some spy puts to protect my positions as well. So I, I definitely have some hedges on looking for the possibility of a five, 10, 15% pullback. All right, coming up, Moderna getting a shot in the arm today. The big news out of the big pharma company that sent shares marching higher. And later, we are ta taking you inside Wall Street's Reddit rebellion. Chat threads blowing up shares of GameStop, BlackBerry, iRobot, so many others. What is fueling this frenzy? We've got the details when Fast Money returns. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Moderna getting another boost today on some big headlines surrounding its COVID vaccine. Meg Terrell joins us with the details. Hey, Meg. Hey, Melissa. So we've been talking, of course, a lot about these new variants of concern from around the world uh, and wondering whether our vaccines will work against them. There's, of course, the one from the UK known as B117, the one associated with South Africa, which is B1351. That one in particular, along with one from Brazil known as P1, have been particularly concerning for how well the vaccines will work. Now, Moderna putting out a statement this morning and posting a paper to a preprint, not peer-reviewed server, essentially saying that the vaccines appear to protect uh, against those strains and for the B117 in particular at the same level um, as for other strains. Six-fold lower neutralizing uh, titers for the B1351 variant, the one associated with South Africa, which sounds really bad, but they say they still expect the vaccine to protect at that level. However, they are going to test both a booster shot of the original vaccine and develop a new vaccine targeting that particular strain to see if that helps uh, with the level of immunity. Uh, we talked with Stefan Bonsal, the CEO of Moderna, this morning about this approach. Here's what he said. What is unknowable right now is what will happen in six months, in 12 months, especially to the elderly, because as you know, they have a weaker immune system and the immunity might go down over time. And because of that unknown, 
Uh, and Moderna wants to always stay at the forefront of the fight against COVID-19. We decided to take into the clinic, out of an abundance of caution, a new vaccine called mRNA 1273.351 for the South Africa strain that we're going to be testing the clinic very quickly. So he's talking about this, Melissa, like a market that could resemble the flu shot market, where we would have to update these vaccines every year and people would have to get these booster shots every year. And that's why you're probably seeing Moderna's stock up 12 percent. This looks like a recurring revenue stream. Mel. Meg, thank you. Meg Terrell. Um, Guy Dami, we've had some bearish analysts on Moderna Mm. in the past, and they have talked about um, this being, you know, if this is a one shot, excuse the pun, kind of deal, then that's it. You get the shot in the arm and you're off and, and have a nice life. But here, if we're talking about a booster, that could be some very good news in terms of the revenue, as Megan mentioned. No, no question about it. Karen's talked about this for a while, the difference between Pfizer and Moderna in terms of monetizing on the Moderna side, not necessarily with Pfizer. I think we had the Jefferies analyst on, and even on his downgrade, I think he had a $140 price target, and that's basically where we closed today. I mean, the stock did everything it needed to do on the downside, if you look. I think it traded down to almost 98, 100 a few weeks ago. Now it's bouncing. You know, probably continues to grind into earnings. But what we have said and been steadfast on is the fact that if you're not comfortable in single stocks, the IBB is a place to be. And look at it. I think it made another all-time high today. Then you have certain names. I know Tim talks about this. Johnson & Johnson, all-time high today. Medtronic trading up too close to that prior all-time high. So there are names that still make sense uh, if you're not inclined to get into the Moderna, Pfizer sweepstakes. Would you rather, rather, Pete? And this involves three options, so please listen. Johnson & Johnson, <laughs> Pfizer, or Moderna? Um, and I only get to pick one, Mel? Is that right? Yes, that's, um. that's the way it goes. <laughs> please listen, Pete. All listen. right, this go around, this, this go around <laughs> I'll take J&J. Uh, but the reason I ask that question is I own both Pfizer and J&J. I most recently bought J&J's just in Pete, the last sorry, week sorry, I got to interrupt. We've got um, some breaking for- news. We want to go back to Meg Terrell. Meg. Well, Melissa, talk about timing. I mean, we just showed you those three different variants people are concerned about, P1 being the one from Brazil. The Minnesota Department of Health now saying they have confirmed the first case of that P1 variant in a traveler from Brazil here in the United States. Now, that is the first case of this variant that we have heard about here in the U.S., um, and, you know, folks have said that just because we haven't found these yet doesn't mean that they are not here. Both P1 and B1351, the one associated with South Africa, uh, our surveillance system just isn't very good. But they did actually catch this by doing surveillance of uh, samples there in Minnesota. So the first case of P1, uh, the Brazilian variant here in the U.S., it has a lot of similarities to that South African variant. Um, and so we'll bring you more when we know about it. But this just coming out from Minnesota now, Melissa, one case. And we know of the U.K. variant, multiple cases across multiple states. But this is the first one of the Brazilian one. This no. sounds pretty scary, Meg. But I mean, the, the fact of the matter is there could be many, many variants that we don't even know about because we're simply not doing the sequencing right now. Yeah, the U.S. is something like 42nd in the world in terms yeah. of the amount of sequencing we are doing of the virus samples. So a key uh, proponent of the Biden administration's plan on COVID has been to increase that sequencing surveillance and obviously hoping that's getting up and running pretty quickly now. 42nd in the world. Wow. Meg, thank you. Meg Terrell. Pete, I'm sorry I cut you off. You're going to say J&J, but oh. if you had... The ability to choose two, I think you're going to say what, J&J and? 
And, well, and I own Pfizer. Yeah. Uh, you know, I look at Moderna, I think it's a great company, Mel. I think they're, they're doing so much great work right now, potentially with these vaccines and the, the ability to be able to shift and move and pivot in other directions to go after something else, a different uh, strain and so forth. I mean, that's phenomenal. But when I look at the, the, the entire company of Pfizer and the entire company of J&J, that's where I think the difference lies for me right now. And that's why I would, I would select both of those names rather than Moderna. All right. We've got a lot more ahead here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. The trading frenzy behind GameStop. We'll give you the TikTok on how day traders push shares higher and squeezed out big-time short sellers. Those details next. Plus, will shares of Roku stream higher? One big Wall Street firm sees about a 20% rally ahead. That trade and more when Fast Money returns. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. The GameStop short squeeze rebellion continues as the company surged as much as 145 percent today before reversing course and finishing the day nearly 20 percent higher, only 20 percent higher. And the social platform uh, Reddit continues to fuel this flame. Let's get to Kate Rooney with more details on this. Kate. Hey, Melissa, GameStop's rally has really been driven by a frenzy of traders on social media. If you look at Reddit, namely the forum Wall Street Bets, which has more than 2 million subscribers, there are dozens of forums with traders encouraging each other to push shares higher and squeeze out short sellers. It's pretty hard to find ones that are PG enough to use on air, but just to give you a little color, one user here says about GameStop, do not sell, we can keep holding our shares, but quote, they can't keep holding their shorts. Another says, Final big push for the day, boys. Don't stop now. And finally, bought mine today as well and holding. Good luck all. If you take a look at Google Trends as well, the term GameStop stock has risen in popularity in recent weeks. Most of that interest, according to Google, coming from Oklahoma, Missouri, Wyoming, and Rhode Island. We should point out, though, that the trading action for GameStop wasn't just from the likes of Robinhood traders. It was also the most actively traded name on Fidelity Monday. We've seen this enthusiasm before for some other stocks, regardless of fundamentals. If you remember Hertz, that was a top-traded stock in 2020 with some similar buzz on Reddit, despite declaring bankruptcy. Startup brokers I talked to say there's a lot of good, of course, coming from this retail boom by expanding access. But they fear, first, some of that harassment online. They also say that people touting stocks on social media are not verified. Those trades and motives aren't transparent. And the new inexperienced traders could be left holding the bag. Melissa. I think that's key, Kate. We don't really know who all these users are. They hide behind whatever handles like GameStop rocket ship. Um, and we don't know if it's an actual real person for one. It could be a bot or if they have other sort of nefarious, um, you know, desires to push a stock up for various reasons. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, Anonymity of this is a big issue that other startups talk about. And there's one 
uh, example, a company called Common Stock that links to your brokerage account, and they say that they do that so that the, the trades are actually verified. So if you tell someone, I just bought $1,000 worth of Hertz or GameStop, they say that it shows you've actually done that. So that is a big fear for people saying that you don't know who's behind these trades. And some of these YouTube videos of gains and people claiming that they have uh, earned millions of dollars on some of these startup trading apps, you really don't know when it comes down to it. Yep. Kate, thank you. Kate Rooney. Now, I know there's going to be a cohort of people out there who've lived through, you know, the bubble days, et cetera, the manias in the past. And they say this is no different from the Yahoo chat rooms uh, of those days. Why is it different now? This has been going on uh, for time immemorial. But basically, the difference is that today retail traders are active in the market like no other time in the past. So, Guy, what what do you make of this whole thing? Well, that's exactly it. I think last year, uh, 10 million new accounts were created, 6 million Robinhood accounts. Obviously, a lot of that money, a lot of that st- those stimulus checks seemingly found its way into the stock market. I think once uh, sports went away last year, I think a lot of people uh, found their fix basically betting on stocks. So it all's morphed into this. What's interesting, though, in terms of GameStop specifically, I mean, this started back on January 13th when they gave you their holiday comps that were better than expected. Uh, they said, I think they had a VC behind them taking a couple board seats. And there have been some shops that have been on back of this, quite frankly. I think Hedgeye being one of them. All that being said, none of this makes a lot of sense when you see a stock go up to, I think, $158 today. You saw the big move to the downside, traded, I think, 160 million shares, typically trades 13. The, the unfortunate reality, in my opinion, is that more people wind up losing money here than making money. And I think, unfortunately, like many things in life, people need to learn and figure this out the hard way. If only pockets of the market are impacted by this price action, Karen, why, why should we care? I mean, <laughs> I, I hate to say it, but so far we've seen what Melvin Capital, um, you know, suffering big declines because it is a, a hedge fund that was short this particular position. The retail trader may ultimately get uh-huh. hurt, but there's no systemic risk from this massive short squeeze that we're witnessing either in GameStop or any of the other stocks, is there? I don't know. I think there might be that if the retail investor goes away, right? I mean, that's what happened after the Internet bubble in 2000. The the retail investor went away. This, I agree, this is different. This is a turbocharged Yahoo Finance chat board kind of thing. This is insane, though. This is on a scale not, I mean... You know, I saw today, uh, I don't know, 14, 15 million shares traded at 95. I mean, you know, 4 million traded at 120. Those are some gigantic losses. The thing that's interesting to me, though, is I'm curious to see whether the SEC really wants to take a look here at are they attempting to manipulate the markets? Clearly, yes. And the other thing is I wonder if somewhere in there there's a 13D violation. You can't act as a group with more than 5% of the stock working together to try to effect some change without needing to file. So, I mean, I, I admit this is a very diverse group, very disparate and made up of smallish players, but, uh, you know, clearly this doesn't smell right. This is insane. Yeah. What could go wrong, really? What, <laughs> what could, go, could wrong? go wrong? Before we uh, get any further in this conversation, we should note the Reddit frenzy is also playing out in a big way in the options market. So we want to bring in Mike Coe for this part of the conversation. Mike, what are you seeing? 
Yeah, so, I mean, I think one of the interesting things that we're seeing is, and, and the options markets are sort of tagging along with this, you know, when you think about the elasticity of demand, usually for value investors, your demand for securities is going to go up as the price of them goes down. But here, we're seeing exactly the opposite. Of course, the demand for these things goes up as the price goes up. And I think investors should caution uh, themselves if they're thinking about that, because, of course, the opposite may also be true, that demand to own those shares is going to decline as they fall, since the price is the only reason that they're in them seemingly to begin with. Another thing you should look out for in the options market is whether the volumes are really extraordinary relative to the size of the company. That's definitely true for GameStop, not just GameStop, though. Nokia, BlackBerry, when's the last time that Nokia and BlackBerry were trading options volumes that were comparable to or exceeded Apple? When's the last time that something like GameStop would see higher options volumes than electronic arts might? Or the last time that AMC theaters was seeing bigger volumes in the options markets than Disney and Netflix? That's the kind of stuff that we're seeing right now. And that's pretty extraordinary when you think about it. All of those, by the way, are companies that we're seeing over a million contracts traded today. I mean, that's, that is really uh, remarkable. Here's something else that's remarkable, is that a lot of this flow, these are not you know, price targets up 15%, up 20%, six months to a year. These are people betting that the price of these shares are going to increase or decrease by 30, 40, or 50% in three, four, or five days. <laughs> this is definitely highly speculative uh, activity. And of course, if you make those kinds of bets, uh, chances are most of those are going to be losing best because the stock cannot be simultaneously up 50% and down 50% one week from now. Uh, yeah, that's that's absolutely true. It, it could be up 50% and down 50% in a single day, though, which is basically what we've seen in the past few days. Um, Pete Najarian, uh, you know, a hallmark of the retail trader in the options market, very short dated, very, you know, it doesn't go out for very long, weekly bi-weekly, whatever you want, or options. You're actually in some of these names. You're in GameStop, as I understand it? Yeah, I'm in multiple names that, that come up under these categories just because they hit on our systems, Mel, all the time. I mean, GameStop's a great example. On a guy pointed out January 13th. On January 13th, the stock was trading still in the very low 20s, and it was just massive call buying that we had seen that was expiring on the regular January expiration date, which was last Friday. So... Uh, what, what did we see last Friday? We saw, again, unbelievable volume, actually even more volume last Friday than we did today. It was 196 million contracts trading. And they primarily, the biggest trades that I saw, at least, were the January 60s that expire this coming Friday. So, yeah, to Mike's point, very, very short-term options, looking for incredible moves, very, very swift moves. Um, but, you know, that, that, that's been part of the market for a really long time. This is not something that just started this year or last year or Beyond Meat or Tilray or whatever you want to call it. I mean, I was talking to Scott today about this. We, you know, I, I was the specialist in Snapple back in the day. Similar kind of a situation where you had a huge uh, uh, amount that, that people would have to borrow just to be able to be short the stock. And I, I was looking at GameStop. And this is one of those that you're seeing that right now. As a matter of fact, I think to borrow the stock right now, it costs you about $30. So give that a little bit of thought in terms of what kind of moves that you've got to have, and yet you're willing to do that. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's an incredible time right now, Mel, and the volume of the options, like Mike was pointing out, into the millions is uh, something that you don't normally see from GameStop. You know, uh, the reaction of some of these Reddit users, Tim, might be Wall Street has played this game for years. You get portfolio managers, you get hedge funds, you get them on CNBC or in some other channel. They talk up their positions, that position goes up. 
you know, why not? Why not us? Why can't we do this? Would you? Yeah. I mean, is there any Look, way I, of trading this at I, the, all? The, the, the adage out there for a lot of these folks is, you know, flows over the pros. Uh, valuations don't matter. It's regular guys versus Wall Street. And, hey, look, for a lot of the short sellers, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. A lot of the short sellers put a lot of information out there in the market and, and are very aggressive on the downside, too, violently. So, um, I, you know, I, I, I agree with a, a lot of what's been said. We've seen a lot of this before. Good for Robin Hood. I think there is a, there's a disruption. There's a disremediation in the market. But be very careful. Uh, none of this is based on valuation. None of this is based on fundamentals. Uh, and at some point, you know, that, that is what it comes back to. Uh, but I do think that the, the concept of, of making money is more important than, than valuations is really what it comes down to. And for many people, that's all they care about. Yeah, but um, as somebody commented today on the network, Mike, you know, when fundamentals come in, that could be a very long time from now. These, these things can last. Uh, yeah, they can last. You know, I mean, I, Pete was making an interesting point. I mean, obviously, those of us who were active traders also during the tech bubble, mm -hmm. you know, we did see volatility that looked a lot like what we're seeing here. And oftentimes, and valuations that were equally questionable, very hard to, to fathom or get your arms around. The interesting thing that's differing a little bit to me here is that oftentimes those were the, the Aravists on the, on the scene, right? The, the most l recently recent, uh, listed IPO, you would see something like this. Now, a lot of these are has-been names, though, that we're, we're talking about and people sort of trying to squeeze it out. That's kind of a, uh, an insider's game, and, and people are using, I think, modern platforms to try to get in on it. And I, th I think Karen's right about this, that the thing we need to examine is whether people acting in you know, collaboration with each other, uh, essentially we need to examine how that impacts uh, the prices of securities, because I think it's an important consideration. Yeah, what is considered a group and can these actors be considered a group if they've never even met each other <laughs> and their only commonality is being part of this thread on Reddit. Um, these are all issues that we will keep a watch on for sure in the coming days. Thank you, Mike. Good to see you. For more Options Action, be sure to tune into the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up, it is the busiest week of earnings season, so we thought this would be a perfect time for a little game, a trade it or fade it. We'll bring you the trades on Tesla, Facebook, Starbucks, McDonald's, and more. Plus, the Chiefs, the Bucks, and Chipotle gear up for the big game. But is Chipotle's big Super Bowl bet a total touchdown for investors? Stick around to find out. Much more Fast Money in two. Welcome back to Fast. The Builders booming today. Lennar and Pulte both hitting new all-time highs. Well, D.R. Horton moved higher ahead of earnings tomorrow. So let's break down uh, this housing trade. Pete, where do you go here? Well, I own D.R. Horton, so I'd be talking my own book, obviously. Um, I, I, I just look at the across the board, Mel. We've seen what's been going on since the pandemic started, and I think there are certain areas of the pandemic, the reactions at least to it, that has caused people to start doing the obvious, which is moving out and moving out of cities and moving out suburbs and all the rest of it. I think that's still there and I think we're gonna be in a hybrid society. So I still tend to think that I, even though they've hit highs, I think there's still plenty of room to the upside for many of these builders. The problem is lumber prices. They, that has been an issue that they've been all having to deal with for a while now. Those prices have shot up through the roof and that has been an issue. That's part of the margin issue that they face. But other than that, it is a lot of uh, the, the, the activity of folks that are moving out. We all know how fast we're seeing it, but it really is moving at a pace like I've never seen before. If not builders, Karen, then how do you take advantage of this trend? 
So I'm Long Lowe's, Lowe's, Home Depot, and Whirlpool that are, you know, you buy a house, you go to those three places usually to get either not necessarily Whirlpool appliances, but some appliances, and you go to Lowe's or Home Depot. And I think also um, we could have that be people fixing up their home as a, as a uh COVID play, but also as a reopen play, and then obviously the tremendous strength of the housing market. So I like all three of those. Tim, did you uh, fast pitch? I almost said power pitch. Did you fast pitch Whirlpool? <laughs> I did. I did. Still and, in it. And, and my view was, it, yeah, and, and the view was, uh, first of all, the multiple uh, relative to itself on a five-year average, about 15% cheap. It's, it's moved stocks up about uh, 10% year-to-date, and it's starting to catch up. But uh, look at the backlog. Again, the company, the year-over-year numbers aren't going to be great for this quarter. Uh, I believe they report Wednesday. And you have a dynamic where I think as you look forward, and again, look at the margin uh, that these guys are able to, even with uh, some higher shipping costs and even higher input costs, uh, which I think we're all referring to. I mean, let's be clear. Commodity prices, input prices, materials prices are, are moving higher, but Whirlpool's in, in a fantastic position. And then I, I think you have to look at some of the other components. Uh, and again, I, I like HVAC, I like Carrier, I like Train. Uh, I think these, uh, uh, these industrial companies are so well positioned for this housing boom. All right. Coming up, Chipotle bringing new meaning to the term burrito bowl. Wise debut at the big game could mean big green. And no, we're not talking about the guac. But first, it is the biggest week of this earnings season with Microsoft, Tesla, Facebook among those reporting. We'll tell you how you should position yourself ahead of these results when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money, the biggest week of earnings season kicking off with names like Facebook, Tesla, McDonald's and Starbucks all on deck to deliver their latest quarterly results. So naturally, we thought it'd be a great time to play a little. Trade it or fade it. That's right. America's favorite game. Trade it or fade it. We're tackling two names tonight. Uh, We will start off with Tesla gearing up to report this Wednesday, already up 25 percent this month. So, Pete, trade it or fade it. Well, I'm going to say trade it, Mel, just because I think the, the to fight against this thing has been a losing battle, and it has been since, it seems like, forever. But when you look at the ecosystem of this company, the billions of miles collected that they've got, we, we all know about the autonomous driving and all the rest of it. Why is it that Apple suddenly wants to get into this market as well? I think it is the EV space is the place to be. I think Tesla's got a huge front run right now in front of everybody else. And they've got this massive ideas in terms of what they want to construct. 20 million vehicles per year over the ne- in the next decade or so. I see a lot of positives in front of it. I know it trades at a ridiculous level, but they also have a much more improved balance sheet. So for those reasons, I'm trading it. Yeah, I mean, a big uh, tenant of the bear case is gone, Karen, in terms of access to capital, et cetera. They've got plenty of that, and they can get plenty more if they wanted. Yeah, they can. And they did that offering into the uh, ad to the S&P, which was a very good move for them. So the balance sheet is no longer a problem. When I say fade it, that doesn't mean I would be short it. I don't really short anything unless you have something very specific, and valuation isn't it. So, you know, if I didn't like it at 313 or wherever a couple of months ago, 881 wouldn't be the place where I would say, yeah, you know what? I got to get in right here. So I do believe in the EV transformation. I am long GM. All right. Uh, McDonald's is reporting on Thursday. So, Tim, trade it or fade it. 
Got to trade this one. And look, I've been bullish on McDonald's for a long time. And frankly, it's been dead money for 18 months. Uh, I think the valuation at around 32 times uh, is is reasonable, especially given where we've seen some of the leaders, especially those that are getting uh, some multiple re-rating. I, I, I clearly mean CMG uh, as it relates to digital and loyalty. And I think McDonald's has done a great job with that. They've certainly been adjusting the menu and they're doing very well uh, in the COVID environment. So uh, the, the, the menu choices, some of guys' favorite wrappers and, and whatnot, uh, designing their own meal and milkshake and whatnot. Not the reason to own it, but uh, certainly have helped sales uh, during different initiatives. To Tim's point, though, it really hasn't done anything in a long time, and that concerns me. Listen, the reason to own the stock hasn't been valuation. Valuation has been stretched, and prior to maybe seven or eight months ago, that's been okay. But now the stock's been trading sideways to slightly lower. You have some tensions with McDonald's and the franchise ease, which is problematic. Uh, I, my concern is the tape has been amazing. Other stocks, other companies in this space have been going gangbusters. And McDonald's, despite the shamrock shake and the Mac rib, can't get out of its own way. So I'm fading it in earnings. And I'm sure there's a fast fire coming at some point for me. <laughs> All right. Uh, we got some breaking news uh, out of the Capitol. Elon Moy's got the story. Elon. Melissa, the Senate now has the votes it needs to confirm Janet Yellen as the next Treasury Secretary. Now, that vote is still ongoing, but she only needs a simple majority to pass. And currently, the tally is 54 in favor, six against on all six of those are Republicans who opposed her nomination. Still, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell said that he does plan to vote to confirm her and that when the president nominates mainstream and qualified candidates, he should have an opportunity to assemble his team. McConnell also said, though, that Republicans do plan to have some spirited conversations with Yellen, especially over the new COVID relief package. But both sides for now are saying that they are looking forward to working with her to rebuild the economy as Janet Yellen does now have the vote she needs to be confirmed as Treasury Secretary. Melissa. Elon, thank you. Elon Moy. Fast Money, be right back. It's a big night here on CNBC. Stick around for an all-new American Greed. Scott Cohn dives into the mysterious marketing company Nexium and its founder who use it as a front for sex trafficking. Be sure to catch American Greed tonight, 10 p.m. Eastern Time. All right. The lineup is set for the Super Bowl 55 with the Kansas City Chiefs looking to defend their trophy against Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and taking the field for the first time at the game. Chipotle, which will air its first ever Super Bowl commercial, the 32nd spot will cost the company five and a half million bucks. Chipotle has been a winner during the pandemic. A strong digital sales have helped the stock climb 260 percent from its March lows. Pete Nigerian, I go to you. This is your realm in terms of the football stuff. Um, but, of course, we're looking for a trade on Chipotle, too. Right. Well, Mel, I, I think this is a, I think it's a brilliant move, quite honestly. I know it sounds like a lot of money to all of us, but it really isn't to Chipotle. And the reality is this could be the most watched Super Bowl ever. I think based upon what happened this past fall and based upon who the two quarterbacks are in this game with Brady and Mahomes, this could be an absolutely unbelievable Super Bowl, potentially. And Brady's at home with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, my old team. I love them, man. And I think, I think Chipotle is doing the right thing. Yeah, Guy, you're going to watch, right? I know you are. Watch what? Oh, yeah. Oh, Super the football Bowl. game. Yeah, no, yeah. That, I, I, that football the game. The only reason I, I'll be watching, as long as the Rangers aren't playing that night, I'll be watching the football game. Absolutely, <laughs> Mel. And I don't want to give away my final trade, but I'm all about CMG for a lot of reasons. Oh, I can't wait. Luckily, the final trade is now. <laughs> Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour. <laughs> 
Yeah, we talked about housing. We talked about HVAC. When, when UTX, uh, United Technologies, spun out Carrier, it was one of the great trades. And I still think there's a lot left in this trade, especially when you look at the valuation and where that whole space is. So uh, Carrier, long. Pete Najarian. I'm going to give you Under Armour. I think I'm going to stick with the sports. We just talked about the Super Bowl. I think Under Armour's got more upside to it, Mel, and so I love that name. I own some calls. Chairwoman. Yes, I will definitely watch the game. Those two quarterbacks were just phenomenal. Um, Mahomes yesterday, crazy good. Anyway, um, I like the banks. They've come in a lot. Citibank in particular, if you can get it below 60, which it flirted with today, I would buy it. I know that I'm the only person on this screen right now that will not be watching the game. Guy Dami, unless oh, it's inadvertent. On. Unless it's like I have to be walking past. Here's the your ad. Anyway. Here's, here's, the, here's, the CMG, here's the CMG ad. The game's not going to be a blowout, but our burrito is. Come see us at CMG. <laughs> Goldman Sachs initiated 1650. I think it goes there. CMG. Mad Money's up next. <laughs> What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.